Good morning. Do I look stupid with this? Uh, I look okay? I know, it's the tie that makes me look stupid, huh? All right, well, good morning, brothers and sisters. And good morning to you visitors. Um, we love the Lord Jesus in this place. And we want to exalt his name through his word, whether it be through singing hymns or the preaching of his word. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story, because I like stories, and God likes stories. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to do a little story, or storytelling this morning, and I'm going to begin to give you God, what we call God's meta-narrative. Now, how many, know, how many of you know what a meta-narrative is? Me neither, so we'll just call it a story. So a meta-narrative is an overarching storyline that is supposed to give context, meaning to all of life, all right? A storyline that attempts to explain and make sense of all of human existence. Okay, sort of like a worldview, right? Y'all know what a worldview is, right? Okay. So in reform circles, we kind of ex ex uh, explain the story of God's plan in four major themes. First theme is creation. The second theme is the fall. The third theme is what? Redemption. And then the fourth theme is what? The restoration of all things, right? And that's sort of like the Christian big picture of how we filter life, how we do this thing called life. Everything is to fit inside that meta-narrative. Does that make sense? And under that meta-narrative, you have other narratives that make up the meta-narrative. You guys following me? Okay. And so you have the big picture, and then you have all these little stories within the big picture that make up the big picture. And as Christians, and listen up here, brothers and sisters, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I think sometimes we can get focused on telling people about so much how, about how to get saved that we forget to tell the first part of the story. It's like, it's like trying to convince someone they need medicine without telling them how they got sick. You guys know what I'm talking about? So the doctrine of salvation, one narrative or one part of the story, fits into the bigger picture, right, of God's overarching theme. And that's where the book of Genesis starts, right? God asserts himself as our creator. That's where the story begins, right? Salvation fits within that meta-narrative or that big picture story theme. God asserts himself as our creator and king over the universe. Amen? So our great God, our creator, has given us revelation, and all of God's revelation is important from start to finish. Every word in this book is... Um, 16 ounces to the pound, right? And nothing's wasted because it's the word of God. So this morning what I want to do is I'm going to read two large chunks of scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, under the topic, the creation story. 
right? So, so what I'm going to do, do this morning is I'm going to preach to you from God's word, God's perspective on how all this got started, all right? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And thank God it comes to us in story form, right? Or this narrative in scripture. God likes telling stories. So let's read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and then I'll give you the outline for this morning. And I'm going to read on the half step because there's so much ground to cover this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, let's read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now pause. What do you see out there in creation? Light. So it's true. (laughs) Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness, or darkness he called night. Isn't that a part of our experience? Day and night? All right. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. I think that's a reference to the sky, right? No? i got to check on that one. But anyway, thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. Okay, so that's heaven, what we call space, right? And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. There's day two. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. What we know today is earth and seas, right? They're a part of human experience or existence. Can't deny this stuff because it's truth. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb, the yield, that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. We see grass all over the world, don't we? More evidence that God's word is true. We can't deny it. The creation testifies to us that God is, and he made all things. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. We call that what? The sun and the moon. And they were timekeepers back in the day, right? You understand? Because God's word is what? True. And we can't deny it in our experience. We see lights, we see firmaments, we see grass, we see sun and moon, we see stars. And God's given us a written record, testimony, that he made it. Verse 16, 
17, God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. Verse 18, and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. We see birds, right? Especially you bird watchers. You know they're up there, don't you? Can't deny it. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth. There's hamburgers, brothers and sisters. Just kidding. Just kidding. Could I joke like that? Does it? Okay, we, okay, we can. Verse 25, and God, yeah, except for the vegan, I, I get it. There's, there's plenty of vegetation here too. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. The goodness of God. He's a good, good father. It's who you are. Right? We see it in creation. A good, good father. Look at this stuff all around us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night shows forth knowledge. About who? God. And we can't deny it. You understand? He says in verse 27, so God created man, that would be you and I, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Do you see any other kind of creatures on the planet besides the animals that fit this description? It'd be us, right? Male and female. We are made in the image and likeness of God. That's where we get our dignity from brothers and sisters. And I don't care how low humanity stoops, they're still an image bearer of who? God. They're made in his image and likeness. And that's why I can and give myself at the Union Gospel Mission and look at someone in his filth and in his degradation and just come to him and say, I love you. And I'm here to help you the best I can because you are an image bearer of God Almighty. And that's where you derive your dignity. You understand? It's not your education. It's not how much money you make. It's not what color you are. It's not where you live. It's not how well you speak. It's the fact that you've been made in the image and likeness of who? God. That's where you get your dignity. Amen? And that's the great equalizer for us all. Right? He says in verse... uh, 30. Also, oh, I forgot. Okay, let me finish man here. I'm on 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So Adam and Eve had to get busy. Right? They had a lot to do on the planet. Fill the earth Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I'll come back to that. 
and the significance of God giving Adam and Eve that kind of authority, delegated authority. 29, and God said, see, I have made every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, to who, brothers and sisters? Mankind, those made in the image and likeness of God, to you, I give it. The goodness of God in creation, to you and to me, right? He is a good, good father. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. You know who God's talking about here or talking to here about all the beasts and the stuff that he made and and the food and the waters and the trees? You know who he made that for? Mankind. It's like me preparing a room full full of stuff, okay, for my children. Nothing but good things either. Nothing bad in there. Preparing it and then saying, come here, son. Come here, daughter. I want to show you something. Look. Look. And I want you to take care of this, and I want you to go play there, and I want you to build this, and I want you to do these things for my glory. See the relationship here? You see the narrative? Don't miss that. Okay? Verse 31, then God saw everything he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, and God stopped creating because he rested on the seventh day. But when he finished everything, he declared, it is all what? No, not just good. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. You know what that means? We have a modern vernacular for that, flawless. You know what it means? Perfect. Ah, very good. Do you understand? For who? Mankind. Okay? See, we're beginning to set the story or the stage for the fall. See, there's something mankind betrayed. You understand? See, there's a relationship going on here between man and God. It's tracking with me. And see, we can lose that when we just start start with Christ and what Christ has done for sinners. There's a narrative that even Christ fits into. That's why he's referred to as the second Adam. You understand? See, there's a big picture. There's, 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 There's a big picture going on here that even salvation fits into. And that's mankind's relationship with God. God has been very good to mankind in the beginning. That's what Genesis means. It means the beginnings, right? The beginnings, the beginnings of our existence, our creation, what happened. And check this out, brothers and sisters, from God's perspective. We are getting a glimpse of God's perspective, God's take on the beginning. How's that, Darwin? Right? Huh? You know? We didn't just bang here, brothers and sisters. 
And if we did bang here, God started that bang. Okay? And he's testifying to that here. And that's going to be our first point. This is fact, whether you believe it or not. This is the fact of how our existence began. God's bearing witness here that he did it. And he's holding all humans accountable through his testimony, through his word. The fact that he spoke and revealed it to us. And the fact that our experience testifies to everything he says here. To the jot and the tittle. Grass. Lions. Me. Sun. Moon. Stars. What's missing? Right? Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day... God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And I want to say something about that, but I can't. That's another topic, the Lord's Day. And how it was a part of the original um, creation before the fall. God instituted that in the creation even before the fall. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And what that simply means there, just a side note, is God sanctified that day from refraining from all of his work, right? So in that way, he set it apart. And that's how we set apart the Lord's day. We set apart the Lord's day by refraining from our work to give our souls to God, to give our souls refreshment to worship God, to come together as people, to, 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 to encourage others to do the same. You understand? And that's not grievous, or that's not burdensome, is it? That should be our joy. We're doing it right now. We're practicing that right now. And it's not legalism, is it? It's good, because God instituted it. And by the way, that's another evidence that God started all this, you know, we're even doing the thing called a Sabbath day. I know it's a little different under the Old Covenant, but you get the point. Verse 4. Um, this is the history of the heaven and the earth when they were created. Now, the ESV says this is the generation, correct? Mm-hmm. The NIV says, reads, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. I don't care for the, the, the uh, translation generation. I like history. Because that, what's going on here is God has given us the history or the beginning of our existence. Make sense? Right? So genealogy, Genesis, um, um, uh, Gentiles, uh, all the genie stuff. Not genie as in genie in the bottle. But have, that has to do with origins, right? Where we come from, tracing our lineage and so on and so forth, right? Our history, if you will. That's what's going on here. That's what this is all about. God's given us a history lesson about the creation. Uh, Verse 5, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Now, don't get confused here. God gave you the storyline in in chapter 1. In chapter 2, it's like, I don't know if they use these anymore, but you know how they used to say, cut, in uh, acting, 
and then they would start it again. Okay, well, what God's doing here is God set everything up and everything has it, the potential within it. The earth has the potential within it, all the seeds and all the stuff, you guys understand? But he hasn't activated it yet. Here he's going to activate it. Make sense? Okay, so this is what it is, this is what it looks like, and now he's going to tell the story of how he activated it and started our existence, okay? He says... Um, Verse 7, and the Lord, or I'm sorry, verse 6, but a mist went up, verse 5, I'm sorry, before my plant, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to fill the ground, or till the ground, I'm sorry, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and, and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first... Pishon, it is the one which skirts the whole land of Hevla, which it, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Now, we don't know what happened to those two rivers. It's believed that they were consumed in the flood or decimated in the flood but we have the evidence of the next two. Um, the four, verse 14, the name of the third river is Hittakel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates, so the Tigris and the Euphrates, right? Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the day you, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So it is not good that man should be alone. So God does another good thing. And he gives man woman. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, wow. Okay? Wow is not inspired, but this is. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's the first part of the story, brothers and sisters. You guys get it? See what's going on here? 
All right? So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to um, tell you what's going on in the first part of the story here, and I want to bring out a couple of things about our relationship with God. Um, First of all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the purpose for God giving us this information in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, or one of the purposes. Secondly, we're going to look at the goodness of God to man through creation. Thirdly, we're going to look at God's authority over man in creation. And then lastly, we're going to look at God's vindication for why the world is the way it is today. You can pick that all up in the story of creation. Okay, let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Sorry for the long introduction here, brothers and sisters, but I didn't know how else to, you know, do it. God, thank you for the revelation. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to um, worship you through it. We pray that you would give us understanding that we might know you better and see your character, that we might draw closer to you now that Christ has paved a way, now that Christ has um, given us this opportunity. And so we pray that you would come and be with us through your word, enrich our lives, and help us to get the story straight, that we might proclaim it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 1 and 2, what it's not about. Let's start there. Genesis 1 and 2 is not about how to debate how old the earth is and how it was created in a literal six days. You can do that with Genesis 1 and 2, but that's not why God gave it to us. Make sense? All right. It is not about proving how Darwin's origin of species and a theory of evolution is whack. I say that with respect. And how creation and intelligent design rules. That's not why God gave us Genesis 1 and 2. You guys tracking with me? You can debate those things from Genesis 1 and 2, but that's not why God gave it to us. That's not how he wants us to understand the story. Make sense? Nor is Genesis 1 and 2 to be understood as myth, fable, or fairy tale, simply to make a point to give the Christian worldview a narrative. You know, like Greek mythology. You know, they'll say somebody had a dream or something fell from the sky and they'll tell this wonderful story. And before you know it, it gives the platform to make a religion out of it. You guys, you guys tracking with me? That's not why God gave us Genesis 1 and 2. So Christians can make up their, their own narrative for, for a story that we're telling to try to convince people about our worldview. All right? So Genesis 1 and 2 is God Almighty's claim record, or account of what took place in the beginning. Now, I know we know that, brothers and sisters, but let that sink in. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 are. It is fact. It is history. It is God giving us a window into the account of what took place at the beginning of our existence. Does that make sense? All right? That's profound. That is amazing. You see? And I and every pastor and preacher and teacher of the word of God is commanded by God to proclaim this, to preach it. Okay? In other words, Genesis 1 and 2 is God's testimony about 
how he made the heavens and the earth. Turn to Romans chapter 1, just quickly, and let's look at Paul's commentary on this. See what he has to say. In Romans chapter 1, Paul's declaring the gospel. He's given us a systematic theology on how to put it all together. And in verse 18, he says this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So, so in creation, do we see God's wrath? No. In creation, do we see his mercy revealed? Uh-uh. In creation, do we see his long-suffering revealed? No. Those attributes of God are not a part of the story of creation. You guys tracking with me? See, we don't need mercy, wrath, and the other one? Long-suffering to be revealed until something goes wrong. That's when God begins to reveal the other aspects of his character. You guys tracking with me? You understand? But in the creation story, what we do see is that God was very good to us. He made and saw it was what? Good. He made good, 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 very good. You understand? He's a good, good father. There's no need for a gospel at this point. Nothing went wrong. Everything was perfect, right? That's the beginning of the story, brothers and sisters. That's where you need to start when you talk about Christ and the work that God has done through him. Start there. Don't just, don't, don't just rush into people and just keep it limited to salvation. God is much bigger than that. Salvation is huge. It's very important. We want people to get saved, but that comes to us in a narrative. Yeah, a meta-narrative, if you will, a big picture. And it'll help people when they say, you know what, Jesus, I got questions. First of all, why is there so much evil in the world? Well, God answers that. He answers that in the creation story. In fact, we're going to answer that question this morning. What does the Bible have to say of why there's so much evil in the world? And how did it get here? Didn't you have that question before you came to Christ? And if you didn't, can't you at least admit that's a good question? And we Christians can't run from that. We can't just jump over that and say, oh, you're a sinner, you just need to repent and be saved. And they're like, give me some context. Give me a narrative. Give me a story of, do something to help me in my conscience to know that what you're saying is true. If God is God, wouldn't that be in his book? See what I'm saying? And see, we cut off a lot of what God has to say when we, get, we, when we don't get our story straight. When we don't put things where they belong in God's meta narrative or his big picture. You guys tracking with me? So Paul says the wrath of God in verse 18 is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's why God's wrath had to be revealed. Because men decided to suppress the truth about creation. Things like atheism. Ah, uh, there's no God. That's suppressing the truth. We all know that. Look, 
What do you mean there's no God? Why do you think there's so many religions throughout the history of humanity? Do you understand? See, atheism, you guys, is just a suppression of truth. It's one of the ways that, that the scholars decided to suppress God's truth. But Paul says that provokes God's what? Wrath. Do you understand? And God reveals it because God is just. And God is a God of love. And don't separate his justice from his love because if he doesn't show his justice, he can't be loving. You guys tracking with me? He would be like you and I. He'd sweep things under the carpet and he would be what? A respecter of persons, wouldn't he? And God is not a respecter of persons. So his character is consistent in every way. Wrath, long-suffering, patience, mercy, and it all equals his love to humanity. Whom the Lord loves, he what? Right? Mm-hmm. All of it defines the love of God. You understand? Paul says, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. See, all mankind know, deep down inside, there's who? God. They know it. That's why there's so many religions on the planet, brothers and sisters. And they suppress the truth about the true and living God. They create figments of their own imagination. The Hindu gods, the Greek mythology, the Buddhist god, right? All these false gods, no offense, all these false gods, we create because we're suppressing the truth about the true and living God and what he's really like. You understand? He says, verse 20, here, here, and then I'll move on. For since the creation of the world, Paul's taken us back where? Genesis, where we're at right now. Since the, since the creation of the world, when God said, let there be light, let there be stars, let there be this, let there be moon. For since then, look, listen. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, Period. That's what the account in Genesis is all about, brothers and sisters. The fact that God created things and he made it, and that should leave us without what? Excuse. See what God is doing in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? He's bearing witness. He's leaving himself a record. He says, if I'm going to get this started, I'm going to leave a little note to let them know, this is the way I did it from the giddy-up. So if things go whack, they'll know. They'll know in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Parents, teach your children Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Don't let the universities come in and give them a different narrative on life. Do you understand? We have the gospel. We have, the word, or we have God's word, God's revelation. These are, this is fact. But when they come in and they start talking about Darwin's origin of species and all this other nonsense, right? And then we wonder why our children, when they hit university, are gone. And they, they, they struggle with, because we haven't told them the story. Not all of us, but some of us. We haven't emphasized it. They, they, they see us in Christianity, they see us arguing about with, with the Darwinists. They see us arguing with, with whether the creation is six days or whether it's a million, those sorts of things. And we never tell them the story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 from God's perspective. 
They just see daddy and mommy fighting evolution. They just see, and, and, and I believe sometimes Christians answer the fool according to their folly. And that's what it does. See, when we answer the atheists and we get caught up in arguing with atheists forever and our children see that, they miss the narrative. They miss the story. You guys tracking with me? And it's like, is that what this is all about? So we can spend the rest of our days fighting Richard Dawkins and, and Christopher Hitchens and all these, uh, and, and Sam Harris? So we can just get up there on a the panel and fight these guys? No, that's not what it's all about. You understand that? We need to know the story. We need to get the story straight. We need to know God's original purpose for giving us this information. He says, so, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to him. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, just the creation itself leaves us without excuse. You guys tracking with me? Okay? We know, brothers and sisters, mankind knows that they've been created. It's all around him, and it's in them. Your Bible tells you that. Okay? So the first thing we see about the creation story is God left us a record. Amen? God left us a witness that we can preach and proclaim. That's the first thing I want you to grasp about the creation story. The second thing, that brings me to my next point that we see in creation story, is the goodness of God. The goodness of God in creation. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are all about God leaving us a record, a witness of his goodness to us. So mark it down, brothers and sisters. It's the goodness of God that's on display in creation. As I I already stated, it's not the wrath of God, it's not the mercy of God, it's not the long-suffering of God, it's the goodness of God. Well, what do I mean by that? How, How does that fit into the story? Meaning this, God made this world and you for his glory, that's true, but God made this stuff for you and I. Do you understand that? See, is that a part of your story? Or do we so focus on the glory of God that we lose sight of that? And we miss the fact that God was good to us. It's like, it's like children wanting to do naturally, or like parents wanting to naturally do good for their children, right? And, 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 and give them good things and wonderful things, not to spoil them, but to establish relationship. A relationship of love and trust. You understand? See, that's, that's the story that we need to tell people. You follow me? Does your story about the gospel and God and all that include this? Or is God a mystery to people? Right? You know, they're afraid, they're so afraid of God or, or like Allah to me. Allah is, un, I, I don't know Allah. Or if I, what I do know about Allah, okay, is he just seems to be a God of terror. Now, that could be my ignorance, right? But, but that's my impression. Unless someone explains to me, right, who he is and what he's like, and how has he revealed himself, well, that's what our God has done. You guys tracking with me? So that we can know him and relate to him properly. So the second thing that's a part of the story is the goodness of God. And I don't want to reiterate this, but we, we've read it. God saw, made things good, made things good. And then at the end of that, he said, it's very good. Now, I want to turn you to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 to highlight this. And you can, this is all throughout the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. There's plenty of verses that highlight 
how the uh, holy writers viewed in their relationship with God this aspect that I'm talking to you about before the fall. Psalm chapter 8, this is David speaking. I think it's King David, yeah. Um, We're going to pick it up in verse 3 because I'm running out of time here. When do we usually stop here? Uh, 11.30? Yeah, but I want to be sensitive, so let's go. You guys okay with me going until 11.30? Okay, let's do 11.30. Okay, oh Lord, our Lord, how? let's, verse 3. When I consider heavens, so, so picture this. David is on his balcony, and he's just walking out there, you know, enjoying the, the beautiful morning. And, and it's, you, you guys know one of those mornings, right? You just had your coffee, and you just, it's beautiful outside. It's a spring day, and the dew's just settling, you know, and you go out there, and it's like, ah. Picture David doing that on, on his balcony as king. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your what? He's talking about the what? Creation, right? He says, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. So David knew this. David believed this with all his heart that God created all this, right? He says, He says, when I consider all that, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now, you know what David means there? He's saying, when I look at all this good stuff and all these goodies all around me, who am I that you would consider me and make me the what? Crown of all this stuff. You understand? Set me, mankind at the pinnacle. Who are we, Lord, that you should do that for us? The goodness of God, right? Watch. He says, The moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you should visit him? For you made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You know what he's talking about? God set mankind as the pinnacle of this creation, crowned him with glory and honor. It's to man and woman that he made in his image and likeness and said, now fill the earth and do this and do this. What, who are we that God should do that to us, right? Who are we? but the dust of the earth. You understand? You guys tracking with me? This is the goodness of God to you. Let's get the story straight. In the beginning, God was good to humanity. Amen? And the scriptures testify to that. Now, you say, yeah, but when I look at experience, something's gone drastically what? Right? And we, we all know that, right? from disease to car accidents to how do you explain the serial killer in in our existence? What is that? And how does that happen? How did that person get that way, right? There's a thousand and one things that we know something has gone drastically wrong. Well, our worldview, our narrative, our story better have an answer for that. You can't just sweep that under the carpet, brothers and sisters, right? Because the Bible doesn't. And, And don't just generalize it and call it sin, although that's what it is but fit it into the story. Fit that narrative of sin into the bigger picture of what God's doing. You guys understand? So I I, I know there's sin, and I know there's Jesus Christ, but how did all this get started? What's going on here? Well, in the beginning, God made it very good, and mankind betrayed the goodness of God. Right? Mankind slept with the enemy, plunged us into evil, right? 
In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely what? In the day we eat of what, Lord? The tree of the knowledge of good and what? What's a part of our experience today? There's a lot of good, right? But there's also this stuff called what? Hmm, testifies to God's truth again, our experience, right? You can't escape it. The word of God is true. You understand? We experience so much evil because Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and what? And that term knowledge there means experience of both good and what? Evil. Evil. And you and I should hate that, brothers and sisters. You and I should hate the fact that we live in an existence where there's evil. If you're okay with living forever the way things are, something's wrong with you. You are not like God. You guys understand that? I mean, there's, there's good times we have here, and there's things that make me want to go, oh, Lord, can't we just do this forever, please? But then I'm like, oh, no, Lord, no. Let's not do this forever. Right? And God says, hey, I got something better. A new heavens and a new earth. When there's nothing but what? Righteousness. And no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more evil, no more death. That's what you should desire. Follow me? If you're getting used to this lifestyle, something's wrong with you. You need to be born again. You need to be a new creation. You need to long for a heavenly city whose builders is God. Right? So we see the goodness of God on display in creation. I don't want to say any more about that, although I can say a lot more. Um, The last point, brothers and sisters, is we see God's authority over man. So the goodness of God in creation or the story account. And then the last thing we see, and these are just points that I want to highlight about our relationship with God. There's other things that I can draw, but obviously I can't do that in one talk, right? So I'm just trying to give you guys the salient points. Um, So if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, after God made all this stuff and gave it to Adam, opened up the door and said, son... Come here. Look. That's for you. What's that? Well, you name it. Elephant. Yeah, we'll call it that. Elephant. And what's that over there, God? Name it. Lion. Yeah. And it's for you. Do you understand? Son, you see that over there? That over there. Don't touch it. Okay? Now, this is not the narrative. I'm just talking in my world. If I go into the room and I give my son a command to not touch something, what does that mean? Huh? Come on, you guys. Talk with me. No, it doesn't mean that. I won't mention your name. I almost did, but I won't because I've got love for you, right? And I know you know. I just, you just put on the spot. But it means that I have authority over my son. See, the fact that God gave Adam and Eve law, he did all this good, but son, don't forget, I'm your creator. Who's your daddy, right? Don't forget that. That's what that law, that one commandment, that's what it means. You did not make yourself. You are not free to do as you please. 
absolutely, hey, let's just, let's just go live it up over there. And let's just tear out the carpet and throw up and let's swing from the... No, no, you're not free to do as you please. You've been created. You are not autonomous. That's what law represents. Do you understand that? That's why God gave one in the Garden of Eden. We fell. Now we need lots of laws, right? Because we're all jacked up, right? But God gave Adam and Eve one commandment in the garden to set the tone for the rest of their time together. I'm your creator. I made you, and you are accountable to me. And I want you to live for my glory and use the things that I made for you. You know I'm good, but use it for my glory, for me, because I made it. I made you, and I made it. You understand? And now we're setting the story for the what? Fall. Now, I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to let Pastor Justin do that, or probably Pastor Justin. We're talking about the creation story, right? The creation story. So there's the creation then there's the fall, and then we're going to talk about why we need a Savior, why we need a thing like a gospel, why we need a thing like mercy, love, and grace, and, you know, and wrath, and all that stuff, right? The other aspects of God's character. You understand? But right now, we're getting the story straight. We're getting the record straight that God was very good to the human race. He did not make us the way we are. And he wants, he wants us to know that. He wants all mankind to know that. I didn't start you this way. And this and you know how some people struggle with same sex attractions and things like that. All that comes into play here, right, brothers and sisters? You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, Christians have an answer. Our, our narrative or our meta-narrative covers all this. This is the way we filter life. This is how we do life. Because we believe this is God's revelation. We believe that He is the one true God. And so we shouldn't be afraid to highlight these things. So God's authority over man is seen in the garden. And he established that by giving Adam and Eve one commandment. And uh, that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, now, we know the rest of the story, that Adam and Eve betrayed the goodness of God to them. And one theologian, he, he just passed away, R.C. Sproul, coined the phrase cosmic treason. Okay, have you guys ever heard of cosmic treason? That's how he describes what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Cosmic meaning that one disobedience affected what? The whole cosmos, right? Everything, including our offspring, including the trees and the wind and the stars and cosmic, global, huge, massive mistake, sin, right? what Adam and Eve are responsible for. Let me give you some application. I wanted to turn you to Romans chapter, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to end with uh, verse 12. But I want to end with some application here. The first thing, let me just reiterate this. Parents, if you do not teach your children the facts about the story of creation, our schools and liberal theologians will teach them otherwise. Don't neglect this. I'm talking about you parents of EGBC, I know some of you are doing it, but those of you who are not, you need to. Okay? Do with Genesis what I'm doing with you right now. Do that with your children and your family. Take them through the creation story. They will be tempted to think it is a myth 
or that we're just trying to win arguments on how old the earth is, or did we evolve, and so on and so forth. But we, as parents, Christian parents, need to be teaching our children that Genesis 1 and 2 are fact about how this all got started. Okay? All of my children know this is fact. They believe it. All right? Right, children? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Secondly, unbeliever. And, and, and I say this because this is a very good question, uh, one that I had to wrestle with over and over again, and that is, how did the world get so evil? Why do we see so much evil in the world? If God is a good God, why is there so much evil? Right? And that makes sense. God, what were you? It's almost like, God, what were you? I say this respectfully, but God, what were you thinking? Right? But we have to admit that we experience it. So you can't just wish it away because it's a part of our experience. Right? When you lose a son early in life, like I did, and some of you others have lost you know, children, it stops you, dead in your tracks, and you, you start asking, what is life all about? What, what's going on? You guys, you, you guys t- the unbeliever are experiencing that daily. They have no meta-narrative for life. They have no story. They have no context. Things are just happening, right? And they're suffering. And when I went through that, My family and I, we went through that. We had a narrative. You guys tracking with me? We had something to draw comfort from. We had a worldview that even includes that and what we experienced. And the scriptures became our comfort and our consolation because God spoke and he revealed. Amen? Amen? Adam and Eve betrayed God's goodness in eating the forbidden from the forbidden tree. And because they did that, they introduced every evil that we experience or we know of into our existence. You guys tracking with me? God did not predetermine the fall. That's another subject. But God did not predetermine the fall. God allowed the fall, but he did not predetermine the fall. Adam and Eve chose, chose to fall. You guys tracking with me? Evil came from them when they chose to do what God told them not to. God warned them, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was the consequence. But the tree was the experience of good and what? And they chose it. You guys tracking with me? Let's get the story straight. Because that clears God, right? And it puts the responsibility on who? Mankind, right? That God might be just and the justifier, right? Before us. And so that we don't have to listen to the devil to try to molest us to think that God got some kind of twisted, weird thing going on here. Or he's some kind of, you know, he's, he's just creating people to, 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 to destroy and damn them forever and all that. What, what is that? You understand what I'm saying? No. 
Mankind fell into sin because our first parents chose it, and they introduced into our experience what we know today, brothers and sisters, as evil. Okay? And let me show you Romans chapter 5, and we'll close here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And God was not taken by surprise with Adam and Eve's fall because he knows all things and he knows the end of something from its beginning or otherwise he wouldn't be God. But in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we read this. This is the scripture. I know you know this and we've already made this point, but I want you guys to see it coming from scripture. Therefore, just as through one man, through who? One man. So the Bible is putting the blame for this squarely on who? Mankind, Adam. That's why Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. And what Adam chose, you and I got. A sin nature. You understand? We are born fallen. Adam and Eve weren't. God was very good to them. He was a good, good father to them. And they chose to rebel against that. And that's story of how you and I became what? Sinners, right? Doesn't that make sense? So let's think of all the sins that you see happening in our society. It all stems from this right here. Adam's choice in the garden to choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And today you and I experience that in our lives, right? But there's hope. And I'm going to have to save that for Pastor Justin. And he's going to preach on, I'm putting the pressure on you, brother. Okay? There's hope. And here's the hope. You can be born again. See, if you're outside of Christ, you know what I'm saying is true, right? You can't deny it. It's all around. Creation, evil, you know, we all experience evils within us even, you know? I don't know why I start lusting after things or whatever, but now I do. It's evil. It's a part of me. It's all, it's all a part of our existence. But you can be free from the curse that God has placed upon this planet and upon sinners who chose to rebel against him. And Jesus put it this way. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. All right? You say, well, how do I do that? If you repent and you turn your back on a life without God, stop suppressing the truth about God, and you run to Jesus, cling to him, hold to him, make him your hope, you can be saved based upon the promises of God. Amen. Understand that? You have to turn from a lifestyle without God and denying God and suppressing the truth about God and run to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm convinced I'm the sinner. And I've been running from you. And I've been living a life that does not glorify my creator, but glorifies me. And I want to turn from that. And I want to get with this story. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel. But we also thank you, Lord, for who you are. That you are a good, good father. 
and that you desire that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I pray that you would bless your word this morning and cause your people to go forth with joy, proclaiming these things in your name. Amen.